kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was a theme in his messages, which is interesting because he didn't say, you know, here's some ideas that I have, uh, or here's an idea of what we could do. He says, it's the kingdom of heaven that's at hand. These aren't just man's ideas. These aren't just some leader's ideas. This is God's idea of how human beings should relate to each other. And, and so we're, 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 when somebody, if, if we were just preaching a message, and we, we may or may not be interested, but Jesus was partnering this. You know, he would raise the dead afterwards. He would perform miracles. And so if you do that, you're going to have an audience that's going to perk up, right? And so the miracles authenticated the message that Jesus was bringing and the messenger. And suddenly, like, this, this guy is saying it's a new day for humanity, and he's got the proof to back it up. And so people start to invite their friends, and they start to call people, and they start to come. And so by the time we get to this part of the story. People were coming from Jerusalem to Judea to Decapolis and all across the Jordan. We were reading a lot about this in the book of Acts, right? And all of a sudden, there's this masses of humanity that are coming out to listen to this man who has the power and the words of God with him. He's got Holy Spirit power. He's got that wind. He's got that fire. And the words of God are on his lips. And so when we arrive at this moment, his popularity is kind of at this critical mass. And, and so Jesus goes to the top of a plateau and he sits down. And, and, I, and I've been at the place where they say this happened. So it's very real to me. Some of you have been there. And, and, and he issues the manifesto of the kingdom. This is what it is to be the people of God in this world. And this is what I want to look at together this morning. How do we become a city on a hill? Because that's what he says here. And so that's why this series, I've called it Rapid City on a Hill. See what I did there? And so I thought it makes sense to start and to read that passage about the city on a hill as we started today. He says we're meant to be a city on a hill. And what does that mean? Well, back then you would build with white limestone. And if you did this on top of a hill with a bunch of buildings, it would reflect the sun. And so the, these cities would shine even during the day it was obvious to see where they were. And at night, they'd be lit up by candlelight. And so you could see a city that was um, you know, perched on a hill for miles. And it's the same today, right? You have, if you've ever flown in on an airplane at night, you know what when you pass over a city because it's lit. Right? And if you, if you look at those, you know, NASA, kind of the world at night uh, photos, you know instantly where the population centers are on the planet. They're all lit up and they're bathed in light. And Jesus says, I'm building a society, um, a community that's meant to be a light to the world. You're to be a light to the world. And then he says, so that they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so Jesus says, I want you to work with each other in a way that's good, that the world would see and say, you know what, I'm trying to figure out my way in the world, and those people have something going on. Those people, the way that they're doing things works, and I wanna be near them, I wanna move into their society, and I wanna be under their king. I wanna go there for safety and stability in my life, and I'm moving towards them like someone out of darkness coming into the light. And so that's what we are meant to be as a culture and as the people of Jesus, right? That in many ways, we will look like the culture. I mean, Jesus dressed like a Middle Eastern man, right? And he spoke Aramaic and he used illustrations that anyone in this crowd at the time in the place would get. There were 
primarily agrarian. Um, my dad, for, for most of, most of uh, his adult career, was an agronomist, you know, a soil scientist. And Jesus, he, he talked a lot about agriculture because there were a lot of farmers around. And, but then, you know, Jesus started talking about ways that we will be very much unlike the culture. And as the sermon progresses past what we're going to read today, then he starts saying, hey, the way we process anger is very different than the world. The way we handle our sexual impulses is very different from the world. The way that we keep our word, the way that we handle anxiety, it's all different. And it's interesting in a sermon, like a good teacher, he doesn't just present the philosophy. He starts getting very practical in the sermon with stuff that would apply to um, their lives then, but they'll also apply to our lives now. And so if, every, if, if everyone's scared and upset in the, in the audience, Jesus is going to preach a sermon on anxiety and on anger. And we'll see him do that because um, he knows the human experience. He walked this earth and he says, there's a way to navigate the world that works, not just for you, but doing this. This could make you a bright beacon of light to a world that desperately needs to know how to move. So how do you become a city on a hill? Now, it's important as we jump into this to give just a little bit of context. So um, let's back up just a second. Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, right? Coming in to the Jewish people at a critical moment. And, and they had been kind of their own autonomous nation in the Old Testament. And yet here in this moment, they were ruled by a foreign power, the city of Rome, the empire of Rome through the external control of Rome, right? And so, but they also knew that they didn't just have a political problem. They had a moral and a spiritual problem because in the Old Testament, God told them, I'm making you a nation and I'm gonna bless you. And God said, I will be your king. And he said, I want you to obey me. And then he warns them, if you won't, if you, if, you, if you want for me to be your king, and when I say, if your enemy's donkey runs away, go get it for him. And if you don't like that, then I'll let you be ruled by somebody else. And, and, and I'll put you under this you know, foreign uh, dominion, dominion and the domination. And you'll, you'll figure it out pretty quick what it's like to have a human ruler that, that will use their power to exploit you. And they'll take whatever they want from you and you'll have to figure out how to deal with it. And so they persisted in their disobedience and then God let them be under another rule. So we saw it in the Old Testament. Babylonians, uh, Babylon wiped them out and the, and the Persians ruled over them and, and now they're ruled by Rome. So you get the sense of the people of God looking and saying, there's a restlessness in us and we're not fully who we're meant to be under God. And so we don't feel good about that. And so here Jesus, he comes and says, the hope that was sprinkled into the Old Testament of one day, redemption is coming, it's here. It's here with me. And, and, and we find out later in the Bible that the Gentile and the non-Jew, any Gentiles in the house, um, we, we get to be grafted in to that same kingdom. And so that there is a message for the people of God back then and for us here today, if we have ears to hear it. And so it's gonna get very practical. And, and by the way, we're gonna get deep into your life. So if you're like, man, I need this guy to get into my grill, don't worry about it, we will, come back next week. <laughs> um, but I, I can't just start 
with the practical stuff because that's skipping around about a third of Jesus' message here because at the top of, the, of his message, Jesus is gonna tell us who gets in the kingdom, how do you get in, and then he tells us how the people of the kingdom behave, okay? So there's, there's all kinds of societies and there's different barriers and entry to who gets in. You, you, know, you wanna get into a certain club, maybe you gotta look a certain way. You wanna get into a certain restaurant, you have to wear the suit and the tie, right? Um, you wanna get into this society, you have to give a certain amount of money to be in the club. There's all kinds of clubs and societies that have all these different entrance fees. And so what we're looking at here is how do you enter into the kingdom of heaven? And, and then we'll look at next week and the following weeks, how do the people of that kingdom behave? Um, and, and let me just make this note before we jump into this text. This is great timing, I think, because in this culture that we're living in right now, it seems like no one knows how to act. Um, we have no idea what to do. I mean, people are, you know, uh, bumping elbows and dodging hugs, and they're like, do we even make eye contact? Does that make us contagious now? And we're all sort of emerging and going, uh, how do I interact with another human, right? Or maybe not that much has changed for you. But I think a lot of us, would agree, it seems that some of us have no idea how to function as a society. And so I think there's no better time, especially for the people of Jesus or those who are at least curious about who, who he is to say, well, how does Jesus say that we're meant to work? How does, not just as individuals, but as an us. And so how do we work together? And do you know what? He says, I've got a way. I know a way, and when you do it this way, you will shine like a city on a hill. You will be blessed, and others will be blessed too. And so we'll get a running start at this today, and we'll jump into the practical later. So how do you become a city on the hill today? And, and then how does the city on the hill look, the church in the modern age, uh, listening to Jesus' message to us about the kingdom? So it all begins with this famous segment, and you'll probably recognize it even if you haven't been around the church or the Bible much. Um, it's called the Beatitudes, which is Latin for blessed, because he's saying blessed is this person, blessed are you, blessed are these people, and then he tells you why. Blessed, some people would say, in this passage means happy. This is about how to be happy. You follow these steps and you'll be happy. And that's uh, it's true-ish. It, it's true that it's talking about how to experience an internal sense of peace and joy, but that's not all that it is. To be blessed has an external component that an outside you know, being who we worship, God extends towards you um, love and approval and kindness and grace. And that extension externally of blessing to you becomes an internal sense of joy and peace because you received it, right? So the word blessed there encompasses both. God wants to bless you externally and uh, he sent his approval towards you so that you can experience the wonderful just cognitive release of knowing the maker of the stars knows me and he delights in me, amen? And so that's what's so crazy about today. You can walk out of this space today and know that I am blessed by God. I am blessed by Father God. Who does God bless? How many of you have seen this? Hashtag blessed, right? You know, why? How? Okay, you're about to find out from the King Jesus this morning, amen? And so he goes through statements about who is blessed. And here's what's interesting. None of it is based on your practice, what you do. It's not based on the possessions that you have or don't have. I'm gonna say this, it's all about posture. It's about the posture of the people of God. 
in this text. I was talking with Bill Boylan um, about the Beatitudes this week, and he told me that he crossed it out in his Bible. And I told him, you know, as a religious scholar, you're not supposed to cross things out in our Bible. Um, <laughs> um, and then he said, I only cross out the title where it says Beatitudes, and he replaces it with the attitude of being. It's a posture. These verses are about a posture and about an attitude. And so in verse three, we see the first one. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit for, those, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, what does poor in spirit mean? Is this talking about you know, being poor economically? Not necessarily, um, although... If you read this in Luke's version, it only uses the word poor, which is interesting. And there's a lot you could say about that. Um, but the reality is in the Bible, there, there is significant overlap in language about the people who are poor materially and understanding their needs spiritually. There is. And there's something about the, the poorest of us. It becomes easier to understand spiritual poverty, easier to understand a sense of lack or limitation. The rich... The, the, the ones that are wealthy can get pompous, right? You know, I made some money. I've been successful. I'm good at anything. I'm good at everything. I don't need God. I don't need other people. Look at me go, right? <laughs> and so there's something about the external presence of wealth that can be internally corrupting to your values. It can make you a jerk, but it doesn't have to. There's some rich people in the Bible that are way cool, and there's some poor people that aren't nice, right? And, but regardless, it's not just talking about being materially poor. And so what he's talking about here, and Matthew makes it very explicit, he says it's the poor in spirit. How do you get blessed by God? Who is blessed by God? Who gets into the kingdom of God? It's those who admit their need. Those who admit a spiritual poverty, nothing in my hands to God I bring, simply to the cross I cling. The Bible tells us that we do not buy the approval of God through the things that we do. His approval isn't for sale, right? It's a gift to those who acknowledge their need. I'm not good enough. Someone else has to be good for me. I'm not sufficient in myself. And so that we're all beautiful in the image of God, we're, we're all broken and we acknowledge that and we're positioned to receive the blessing of God. When I admit my need and I come with just empty hands and he's most able to fill them then, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So how do you get into the kingdom? You admit you need the King Jesus, right? Okay, let's keep on going. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Now, is this about people who've lost loved ones? Not necessarily. What he's talking about here is, again, in the Old Testament context, the book of Isaiah um, talks about the, the people in the Old Testament were meant to feel something. Um, we walked away from God in the story, right? And we lost the blessing of our of our autonomy under him and we're under foreign power now and we're dominated by these powers that are outside of us that are ruining our lives and they're meant to feel a sense of remorse because of that and so you're meant to not only realize uh, you know that I have a lack but you're meant to have an emotional emotional response about that lack and so you know it's like this <laughs> I want my kids to feel something when they do something wrong Right? If my son 
if one of my sons punches one of my daughters and feels no remorse, that's terrifying, right? That's, that's like psychopath. I want him to feel something in response to what he did. And, and when he does, what happens? Then I, as a loving father, I wanna offer grace and I wanna have a conversation. All right, buddy, you know, what can we learn from this? And, and you know, how could we live in a different way? You don't punch your sister, <laughs> right? But I need to see him have an emotional response to that, that I've, you know, I've gone astray. And here he's talking about that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I know that I'm not okay. I know that I'm lacking first and I don't feel good about that. I need someone to help me. In the book of Isaiah, he was telling the whole Old Testament, you've walked away from God and it has hurt some of you. And you know what that feels like. And you're here with the tiniest crumb of hope because you know, I walked away from God and I've traveled down many roads that have led to no answers. And you're here wondering if there's grace enough for you. So let me just tell you today, spoiler alert, absolutely there is. Absolutely there is. It's when you admit that you're poor in spirit and you come with an emotional response to that, that that's when the grace of God comes running towards you. I mean, absolutely running towards you. In the book of Isaiah, when the people realize that, man, we've made a mess of our lives, Isaiah 41 says, comfort my people. I'm come as the comforter. And then he starts talking about the Messiah, the King that would one day come for them. And here Jesus grabs his language on purpose and says, I'm the comfort of God that's come to those who realize their need. I'm coming as a comfort. And I, I heard this story from a friend at the conference that we attended this week. Um, this lady did accounting for a, a, a church in our district and somebody was asking her, so how do you become a church accountant? Um, and, you know, I don't even know. And it turns out that she had become a Christian um, fairly recently. And, and she had been enormously successful in business, uh, uh, successful enough to retire early. And she said, you know, it's an interesting thing. I was, I was successful, but I just got to the point in my life where suddenly I realized, you know, I got all the success, but I don't feel right about myself and I don't feel good about me and I don't feel good about the way that I'm living and I just don't know how to solve it. And she said, I realized I knew that I was lost even though I didn't, you know, use that language. And she said, for years, I kind of knew that, you know, there was something, I was, I was lost and, and I just didn't know how to get found. But when I started kind of mourning and kind of crying out to God, um, a flyer landed in my mailbox. And I, I showed up here to this church and came to faith and become, I became the accountant for the church. I guess that's how it happens. That's how you become an accountant for the church. How, how about that? She's living the Beatitudes right there. I came poor, I came mourning and his grace comes flooding in. Blessed are the meek, let's keep going. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. This is not what most people think, right? It's the opposite, might makes right. And you know, and in our culture today, I don't defend my position, I just steamroll the opposition. That's kind of how our culture thinks, that's who we are in our culture today. So the Christian says something else, the follower of Jesus says, I'm okay admitting my weakness. I'm okay with it. I, I don't have to act like I've got it all together. <laughs> I, I could come in small because when I come in small, I get to acknowledge that the most powerful being of all beings is my king. And I don't have to fight because he fights for me. And so blessed are the meek. 
you don't have to act like you got it all together. Which, can that just be a huge sigh of relief for some of us in the room this morning? You don't have to act like you have it all together. We don't want you to, because we know that you don't. You're a mess, right? <laughs> but so many of us feel like we have to, we have to do that, right? I mean, you go, man, I've, I've got to armor up and I've got to put on my power suit and I've got to, you know, my power tie and my power handshake and I've got to take over the world, right? And you just armor up, no weakness, I'll cry later. And, and if you can't, you know, put on your power suit, if you can't shake hands, you know, you're destabilized. But we even come into this building, we even come here and then we get all religious in this place too, like, okay, I've got this, hallelujah, praise God. Like you're trying to armor up, like you, you've got to just look like you're all put together here too. So stop it, stop that. Because here's the thing, you don't have to have it all together here, <laughs> okay? Nobody does. God doesn't want you to do that. He just wants you to be real and say, I'm a mess. And then he can tell you, he's like, I'm aware, <laughs> right? But it's good when you say that because when you admit you need mercy, that's when mercy comes. When you admit you need it, that's when mercy comes. When you admit that you're meek, you inherit the earth. The whole kingdom is his and he offers it to his children who come humbly and ask. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It's, it's not just that I feel a lack in me, it's that I wanna be filled by what's right. Okay, I go, man, well, if, if I'm insufficient and I can't fix it, no amount of discipline and, and no self-help book, you know, I'm reading all these books about how to get more organized and my meaninglessness, <laughs> but I don't really know where it's all going and I wanna know what's right and I wanna know what's true. And I wanna know what's beautiful, not just so I can do the right things, but so I can be a part of what's right in the world. I wanna be a part of your, how do I get reconnected from being dislocated from what you are about, right? And so I hunger for that and I long for that and I want that and I just, I just don't wanna wake up and rise and grind and make a paycheck and do it all for no reason at all. I want to know where this is going, right? And, and I wanna be lockstep with the king. When you hunger and thirst, he says that you'll be encouraged because I will satisfy that. I would dare say that he puts a hunger in you that's what he does. And when you long for him, he says, that's who gets in the kingdom. So you want the blessing of God, then long for it. He longs to give it to you. A, a pastor that I was listening to this week, um, he told this story. His, his mom was a, a school teacher. And there was one day when a student was crying in her class. And, and so the pastor's mom pulled this girl in the hallway and is like, what, what's wrong with you? What's going on? And this girl is crying and she said, Miss Stewart, do you know what happens when you die? That's what she was crying about. And the pastor's mom said, no. And this girl was distraught about that. And this pastor's mom was like, well, hey, look, you know, you, need, you just need to eat all those feelings and go back in there. You can't be doing all of this right now. And so she went back in the class. But a year later, the girl came back, she had graduated came back and she said, Miss Stewart, do you remember when I asked you that question? And she said, I think I found the answer and I'd love to share it with you. 
And she gave her this little copy of some scriptures with a guide in it that was sharing, you know, what it is to know God. And it offended the teacher. The teacher's response was, are you trying to say I'm not a good person? Uh, You know, trying to fix me with your little religious pamphlet? She didn't care. Until about a year later, when some of the things that gave this pastor's mom stability in life got destabilized. Some answers that she thought she had suddenly felt more like questions and she looked up at her life and she realized, hey, there's a lot of things that I was kind of counting on that are no longer here for me. And she started to feel that need. You know, something's wrong here and I don't know how to get right. And so she started looking to all these different religions and different kind of spiritual backgrounds. And she said, she noticed something. There's, there's like a strut. All of them are like quoting Jesus. It seems like every spiritual moment was trying to kind of hijack him. That was her perspective. And she said, I found that um, Jesus' words were more interesting. So I just went to the source and there was a TV show on uh, about Jesus. So I watched it and it was like this um, six uh, part series. And she went and she found her coffee table Bible, the only one that she had in the house. You know, people used to buy those to write down birthdays and uh, baptisms and stuff in them. And so it's that 50 pound baptism Bible, you know, that she just puts out on the table and throw it out. And she's kind of trying to follow and read along with what she's seeing on the TV screen. And so she's like watching and she says, Hmm, he did say that. That's great. And she's following along in the scripture and without any prompting, Without being told, it wasn't homework from church, it wasn't homework from anybody, she just wanted to know God. She was longing. And so that hunger and thirst led her to the feet of Jesus. And when she saw what he was like, that he was really like what she was seeing, she saw the way he lived, how beautiful um, it was and how far it was from how we live. When she saw him bleed and die out for us, behold, the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world, she said, I want him. I want him. And she knelt down there in her living room and she put her faith in Jesus. And so a couple months later, she birthed her son, Ben Stewart, who is now a pastor of a growing church in Washington, DC. And he got to grow up in a home that knew the grace of Jesus because his mom hungered and thirst for righteousness. And God satisfies that. You don't have to have all the answers, but you just have to come hungry, right? You come thirsty, and I promise you, he, we have a God that longs to satisfy. You just keep coming back, and when you do, he changes us on the inside, and it begins to affect how we live on the outside. And so he says in the next verse, verse seven, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So this is, this is pretty simple, but it's, it's powerful too. When you come to God and know that you need mercy, you are more apt to show it. When you come to God and you know that you need mercy, you are more apt to show it to other people. It's the folks who think they have it all together that are arrogant, right? And so it's, it's the ones who know that they're needy that can be the most gracious. He says, when you come to God for mercy, you can then be merciful. I love this. Um, author Sebastian Junger, he wrote a book recently where he took some guys um, who had gotten, uh, just gotten out of the military and they went and they had this experience together and they walked along the railroad lines from Washington, D.C. Um, through Pittsburgh. 
And they went for miles. It's illegal, by the way, to hike along railroad lines, but they did it. Um, They had uh, loads of fun. They made a video about it, wrote a book about it. But he said, it was interesting. As I walked these rail lines, we noticed this familiar pattern. He said, when we walked through poor neighborhoods, we were just a couple of dudes with backpacks wandering. And he said, regularly we were asked, are you okay? Do you need some water? He said, when we would go through the more wealthy neighborhoods, they would call the police. And he said, it was an interesting thing. It was like the people who understood deprivation and the need for mercy were much more inclined to show it. And spiritually, it's the same way. When I know my need, I'm more apt to meet the need in other people. It manifests in compassion. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. There was a time in Christianity where becoming a believer you know, was socially advantageous. It happened in ancient Rome um, after the emperor became a Christian. People realized, oh, well, he's, he's a Christian. I need to act like one too because maybe I'll get a promotion. Maybe I'll get money, right? Maybe I'll get more power. And there were people that began to pursue Jesus for alternative motives. It happened in ancient Rome. It happened in America, right? There's a lot of people here who will play the game of kind of becoming you know, a Christian because it has some social advantage, right? And it was sort of this mercenary motive. It's a little bit less like that now. You're probably not scoring a lot of cool points by saying you're a believer at work. But the reality is, Jesus says, hey, it's those that have a pure motive that you know, you're going to meet God. Now, this isn't saying that you, know, you come to Jesus with a pure motive. I, I, probably most of the people I know, including you know, maybe even myself, you know, we come to God with a different motive. You know? and, and, and maybe it's just like, I came to church because you know, I was here to meet the ladies. And if that's you, I mean, I'm glad you're here. But here's the thing, you, 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 as, as your faith progresses, as your relationship with God progresses, you might miss out on really knowing God because blessed are those who come with a pure motivation, right? It's, I really want to know him, that pure longing, he's gonna satisfy that. So, you know, and as a youth pastor, a lot of times, you know, we'd we'd draw kids in through events and fun and, and then bring them in through relationship. And, you know, so the motive wasn't always there right away, but then when they find out who Jesus is and there's that pure longing in the heart to get to know them, scribes are always trying to trick Jesus, right? And one of them came to him once and said, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered and he gave the answer, love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, and your mind, and love your neighbors as yourself, right? And the scribe, this is what he says, listen to this, you're right. If we do that, it fulfills the whole law. It fulfills all of it. And that's way better than any sacrifice that we could do. And what did Jesus respond back to him? Jesus looked at him and he said, you're not far from the kingdom. You're not far. You've got it. You know what it is to have a pure motive. I just want to love God. I just want to know him. I just want to, you know, be affected by that relationship. And he says, you're close. You're close. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Now, this isn't if you go make peace, then you get to be a son of God. It's you will be recognized as such, right? So my son looks at me, not in a desperate attempt to become my son, but because he is my son. And so God is gracious 
when you love him and he's gracious when you're a jerk, right? He's gracious. God is gracious to those who pursue him and he's gracious to those who flee from him. And, And he's gracious to those who love him and he's gracious to his enemies. That's our God. And when you come to know God, you become like that too. And we can be gracious and we can be peacemakers in this world, which is a fascinating thing to be, right? Because the world is kind of leaning towards division all over the place right now. You think that we'll stand out if we're peacemakers? I guarantee you, if people, if the people of Jesus are about reconciliation and not division, we will look different than the world, right? And what's interesting is he moves straight from that. Look, look where he goes next. He moves straight from that to persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of the heaven. Now, I love the way theologian D.A. Carson commented on this. He said, it's no accident that Jesus had passed from peacemaking to persecution For the world enjoys its cherished hates and prejudices so much that the peacemaker is not always welcome. Isn't that a rough sentence? The world enjoys its cherished hates. We like hating some people. But I love everybody. Well, it's, it's, here's the thing. It's easy to love, you know, propositional hypothetical people, but all of us have people in our lives, right, that you're hoping never show up here because you can't stand them. And it's hard to worship when you know that you hate that guy. Jesus says the blessed are those that are peacemakers, but it'll cause persecution. There's people that don't want peacemakers in their midst. Blessed are those who are persecuted, but notice it's not just people who go through hard times because everybody goes through hard times. It's those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, when you associate with me, when you come uh, poor or needy, I'm gonna bless you and it's gonna change the way that you begin to live. And as you do that, you'll become different than the culture and there will be opposition and there's gonna be friction because you'll stand out. You'll be strange. (laughs) But how do you know that you're blessed by God? You stay, you don't leave. Blessed are those when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. He doesn't just say you'll get persecuted for being a nice person. He says, because of your association with me, it will cost you in some places socially. But how do you know you're really his? How do you know You're part of his kingdom. How do you know that you're blessed by him? You will associate with him even if it risks costing you something. Let's just set up a hypothetical situation. You're in your homeroom class in high school and the rude kind of clown guy that makes fun of people for laughs starts going down the pictures in the yearbook, okay? And looking at pictures one by one, he starts to make fun of everybody on the page loudly for the whole class to hear. And he's going, look at this moron, look at this guy. He's making fun, he's laughing, he's joking. He's going down the list, making fun of all these people. And then he gets to your girlfriend and he starts talking about her big head. And you stand up and you tell him, that's enough. You don't get to talk about my girlfriend with me in the room. 
and he looks at you and he stops for a second and he goes down just a little bit to the page where your picture is and starts talking about your weirdly shaped head. But here's the thing I want you to think about though. How do you know that you're really bound to someone? You'll take the hits, right? You're not just with them for better, you're with them for worse. How do you know you're with Jesus? Because you want him even when it costs you something. It's one of the ways that you know. When I was a youth pastor in Bayfield, there was these two high school kids that I didn't really know very well and they weren't really part of our ministry at the time and and they asked, they came into my office and they asked if they could meet with me one night and I was like, sure. And and so they set it up to come and meet me before after school program uh, one night. And it turned out that they had had some kind of spiritual experience that had led to some conviction in their soul. And they knew that I'm not right and I wanna get right. And so how do I get right? And so they were asking these very sincere and earnest spiritual questions. So I shared with them, you know, the gospel, how Jesus stepped into our story to be a rescue for us and, and that they can be knit together with him by faith. And one of them looks over at his buddy and he says, if our friends find out about this, they'll never hang out with us again. And they were both in band and And this one guy was just instantly putting that together and he just felt it. If we associate with Jesus, they will not call us to party with them anymore. And so his bro was like, well, I don't know. We can tell them that we're on this journey, but you know, I think we'd still be cool with them. And and he was like, man, I don't know. And so they left and as I watched them, as I watched them leave, they were just kind of leaving and kind of calculating, is Jesus worth it? And one of them started coming back. In fact, um, he started coming all the time and he joined the youth worship band and I got to know him really well and he ended up um, mentoring him. He played bass on the team, taking him to um, some discipleship journeys. And later on, I asked him about where things were and uh, he's like, you know what? I I tried so hard just to be gracious and to serve and to care for my friends. And, but then, yeah, they, they just don't call me anymore. And I know that they're hanging out. They just don't call. And I asked him about his buddy and he said, uh, um, you know, I asked him, what about your buddy? And and he was like, you know, (laughs) this is what he heard. Somebody else told me that he told them all about the conversation that we had with you and he mocked me to all of my friends. And it hurt him. And Jesus looks at him and he says, but you're blessed and your reward in heaven will be great. There's more blessing in the future, but you know, there's some pain now. It'll cost you, yes, but when you take that hit, let it be a sign to you, I know that I'm really his because I want him even when it's hard. So Jesus says, you're blessed and great will be your reward. And they persecuted the prophets the same way. It's always been like that, that God had called some people to walk with him and it may cost you, but you won't change the culture by just swimming along in the stream. You gotta go against the stream. Will there be resistance? Yes, that's what happens. But you can change the tide and we can do that. That's that's what he says in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? So we're almost done. Talking about salt, salt was common common in this day and and most common as a preservative. Um, You would put salt on meat to keep it from decay. And he's saying, I'm taking my people and I'm scattering them all throughout culture to give this 
taste to give this salt seasoning to a bland world so that we can, it's almost like the preserving society, that we can hold society together, that we have a preservative quality against the decay of humanity. That's who we're meant to be. And so you see that all throughout human history. You see as the Jewish people were carried away that there was some degradation in society, but it was Esther who stood up and her faith rescued the Jewish people. Daniel the same, we see it in his story too. You see it all through history, the painful regimes. There's always been a remnant of people who will stand up and say, no, love, beauty, and truth are worth standing and living for and worth dying for. And it's when someone stands up against the tide of hate and ruthlessness and justice judgment and presents a more beautiful way that they will be despised, but you might just be a preservative to a culture. Maybe if we're a church like this, we see a city change, right? But if salt has lost its taste, how shall it be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, I know there's just a handful of you probably that are scientists or you're science nerds and you're in here and you're thinking, well, technically... Salt never loses its saltiness. It's a stable compound. Well, just stop that, please. Because <laughs> back then, here's what would happen. They would gather silt from these marsh beds. And so when they grabbed it, 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 would, it would have salt in it along with all these other things. And they would spread it out on the meat. And if it in any way got diluted, you would have hands of the stuff that you would call salt, but it lost all of its salt content. And so it was no longer useful. So they would take that and they would throw it on their roofs because um, what happened, it would kind of create a flooring on their earthen roofs that they would use as balconies like we hang out on our balconies and they would hang out there and they would have parties there. So they said, hey, it's not gonna be a preservative in the culture, so we'll just throw it out to be trampled on. And some of you feel trampled on in your faith at work. And it's because you, maybe, it's, maybe it's because you don't necessarily stand out and yet we're called to be something different. We're called to be a light to the world, right? Something that stands out, a beacon to your friends that they can come to when they're hurting. And I don't know about you, but I have heard many stories, even from friends who, who, who've had that happen to them. Their friends would mock them. They would shame them. They would do, you know, say things about them and then come to them when they're hurting. Do you have the strength to be different? So let me close with this. Jesus ends, you can come on up. And uh, we don't have the time to read it all, but he ends by talking about um, whether or not he's come to abolish the Old Testament. And that would bring you to attention if you were Jewish, because you're feeling like, you know, man, we had this Old Testament law and then the Romans took over, you know, so is Jesus going to kind of bring this third thing that's going to happen? And he says, no, I'm here to abolish the law of the prophets. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm not here to do that. I'm, I'm here to fulfill them. I'm here to bring them into their full completion. That's what I'm here to do. And then he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And that's a very disturbing verse. And some of you are kind of hoping I didn't read that one. Kind of a bad place to end, Pastor Sean. Well, wait a minute. You know, the Pharisees and the scribes were the most religious people of the day. They took great care to follow every bit of the Old Testament, you know, the law and how they're addressed and what they ate and how they walked and how they spoke. He said that we've got to be more righteous than them. How is that possible? I heard a pastor say it this way. It would be as if Jesus said, you've got to be fast to enter the kingdom of God. 
And what's the natural question that you'd ask after that? How fast, right? Well, what if I said, you know, Usain Bolt fast? Nope, that's too slow. It's too slow. Well, we'd go, well then, then who can we, how can we get in? He's the fastest guy that we got. That's how they would feel. Scribes and Pharisees are the most religious people that I've ever seen. Yeah, they're not righteous enough. Okay, well, all right, well then there's no hope for me. Exactly. So, I come. I come poor in spirit. And I have an emotional response to that. And I come with meekness and a hunger for th- and a thirst for what is right. And I find within myself the inability to be what I'm meant to be. And all of us have fallen short of the glory of what's right. And I find myself there. And Jesus says, I know. I haven't come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it down to the smallest letter. I will obey it for you. And I will be the perfect emblem of humanity that you cannot, that I will fulfill the hope in the Old Testament of one day a king will come and bring peace with God again. I will fulfill the need for a sacrifice that you saw in the Old Testament. That's me. John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I could not. It's the wages of sin that leads to death. He didn't sin. And so he didn't need to die, but he did willingly. And he took on your death and mine and so that we can come with empty hands and we can come humbly and we can come empty to the cross and on equal ground, equal footing, all of us, rich, poor, whatever your background or experience, we all come with empty hands to the king and we just say, will you forgive me and will you love me? And because I need you, will you rescue me? And Jesus says, yes, because it's the poor in spirit, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness they will be satisfied and they will be called sons and daughters of God, loved by him, and you will inherit the earth. Do you know him? Do you know him? He's the headline. He's the thing we celebrate every week here at Destiny. And when you come to know him, he will change you. And we'll look at that in the next few weeks, the way that you handle anger and resentment and all different kinds of anxiety, it's coming. But the change has to start in here. And it doesn't start by doing a thing. It just starts by receiving what he has done. It starts with a posture. It starts with an attitude that all I am, Lord, is yours. Why don't you stand and pray with me? Father God, I just want to come to you this morning and if you could just agree with me if this is your prayer too, if this resonates with you I want to come to you with a posture Lord, an attitude of being a posture that says all that I want in me is to want you and serve you and all that you have for me I come meek I, I come poor in spirit I come needing for you to fill me up and to, for me to be fully who I am, but you to be fully who you are in me. And God, I just give you permission. I come with a posture, Lord. Use me. Take me. Use me. My hands are yours. My feet are yours. All of my strength 
Even when I have none, it's all yours. You fill me up. You give me strength. You reposition me. You fill me up. You fill me up to overflow. You satisfy my heart. Lord, I want with all that is in me to go after what you have for me, what you call the blessing, Lord, more than just happiness, but to be in line with your purpose and plan, your kingdom manifesto. I put myself in a posture where to say, use me, use me, use me. All of us that are here in this place this morning, I just want to invite you. If you've never said a prayer before, never surrendered your heart to Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. And uh, this is a private decision, but it's a decision that... Um, that'll change your life. It's the best decision I think that you can ever make in life. And so with all the believers in the house praying, and um, I just believe Holy Spirit just speaking to somebody this morning saying, that's me, I need to surrender my life this morning. Or maybe it's a re-surrender. Maybe it's a re-surrender. I've, 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 I've gone away and I wanna come back. And you know that Jesus' grace is big enough for that. It is more above and beyond. And so if that's you this morning, I just want you to pray with me and all of us are gonna pray it together. Say, Father God, I give you my heart. All that I am is yours. I posture myself before you. Fill me up, lead me, take me where you wanna go. I'm yours. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for coming to be my rescue. Thank you for forgiving me. I want to live my life all for you. All that I am is yours. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.